I know you, you were kind of getting excited. I was going to be preaching on superheroes a few minutes ago, weren't you? That's actually a new series for uh, kids' church downstairs uh, starting next week, right? It starts next week. All right. So, and uh, <clears throat> we got a few people that are missing uh, this morning because they're probably, they're probably waiting for the second service because we're meeting with a lot of our new folks that have filled out new gift inventories and passion inventories and wanted to get involved. And we're meeting with a lot of those after church today. I think about 18. So uh, thank God for that, right? 18 new hands at the wheel, uh, not, not noses to the grindstone. We're going to try to keep their noses off the grindstone. We're going to try to get their hands to the wheel, though, if, uh, if we possibly can. So a lot of exciting stuff going on. So, but uh, let's get into our message if we can. Oh, and let me say this again. Please, uh, everybody in this building, humor me by walking past the table and at least picking up one clipboard, okay? You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to prop. But just humor me, okay? Go by and just, even, even if you just pick it up, put it down, I want you to consider small groups because you need small groups. Our church needs small groups. And the reason our church needs small groups is because you need them. I mean, we don't need small groups to be a stronger church. We need strong, uh, small groups so that we can raise stronger families and we can have stronger church members and attenders. You need small groups, which is why the church has those. So please go by that table before you leave today. today. And check, check at least one of those out. There's something for you, I guarantee. And, and if, there's, if there's not something back there that you can do, if there's not something, you, you tell me, and I'll start a small group, just me and you this week or, some, or something, okay? I guarantee you there's one. Okay, so let's get into our message this morning about the R word. You know what the R word is? Well, there's a bunch of them, isn't there? Well, let me give you some hints, okay? This word, this, this thing is something that everybody in the world has. You have, you have, you have, you have, you, 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 me. Uh, you know, kids have it. Yeah, yeah. Kids, they think that they're going to finally get to a certain age that they won't have it. You know, when they graduate high school, they won't have it. Or when they, you know, when they get married, move out on their own, they won't have it. Or when their kids move out, they won't have it. This R word, and it's something that we we don't want, which is why you know we're not using the word so much this morning. Instead of calling it the title, we're just going to call it the R word. And yeah, I'll have to throw it out here in a minute so that you you know exactly what we're talking about. But even though we all have it, most of us wish we didn't have it. We don't want it. I mean, we, and those of us who are adults, you know, our age, we're thinking one of these days, you know, when we get old enough, then we won't have it anymore, you know, and, and uh, some of us think we can, uh, one of these days we'll be able to get old enough, we can hide behind uh, the, the, the claim of senility, you know, and everybody just overlook us and we don't have to worry about this R word anymore. But, but even though most of us don't want it, we want everybody else in the world to have it. As a matter of fact, we'll point at other people and say, that's yours, that's yours, and that's yours. The R word is responsibility. Everybody has it. Most people don't want it, but they want everybody else in the world to have it. So the R word, responsibility. Let's have a word of prayer. We're going to jump into Scripture. And I'm going to take you to a very bad example. So that you can see, because, you know, uh, I'll tell you this, you know, we, we say, well, you, you ought to be pointing at good examples. Well, you know what? When I see somebody fall on their face, you can ask my kids. I, I've, I've used, I've used all, all the people anywhere close to us, family, friends, or whatever, when they'd make a mistake, if my kids saw it, I'd use that as a teaching example. 
Adversity is our best teacher as far as learning what we shouldn't do many times. And so I want to take you to a very, very bad example in the Word of God. Let's have a word of prayer, and let's get ready to talk about the R word for a little while. Father, I thank you, God, that, uh, Lord, you didn't shirk your, your R word. Lord, you were willing to take it on. I thank you, Jesus, that you were responsible. Even though you didn't, you, you didn't have to be, you chose responsibility. Responsibility for my sin, responsibility for my mistake, responsibility for my future, responsibility for my eternity. You took it, you, you took it, Lord. You didn't shirk it, God, but you stood there, and I thank you for that. And God, I just pray that uh, you stir within us, Lord, every one of us, male, female, young and old, Lord, that you stir within every one of us this, this responsibility to know that there are some things that, that we owe to somebody because of what you did for us. And I just pray, God, that you would use this time and stir us in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. Okay. I want to go to Ephesians, and this is not where the bad example is. This is actually talking about, uh, talking a lot about the responsibility. It says, uh, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just responsibility over and over and over. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then back to fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A lot of responsibility there, wasn't it? Responsibility that we have to one another as Christians, but also responsibilities that we have in our families. Responsibility that we have, and uh, you know, and I, I, I don't, I don't want you. Uh, well, I started to say guys, but let me just say, I don't want any of you, guys or girls, men or women. I don't want any of you to misunderstand what he's saying there when he talks about the wives submitting. We're not talking about lordship here. We're talking about responsibility. We're talking about sacrifice because when we talk about how Christ loved his church, what did he do? Did he come here and beat it over the head? I mean, he didn't come and do what, what uh, Muhammad wrote as we, as we talked about last week in the Quran. He didn't come and do that. He didn't say, well, you know, you've gotten out of, out of line, so I'm going to beat you into submission. No, what did he do? He came and sacrificed for us. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand what he's talking about. He says as the, as the way Christ was, that's, that's the way. So this morning I want to talk to, and here, here it is, this morning I want to talk to us guys, okay? Men, males, husbands, dads. If, if you're male, you know, if, if, if that's who you are, that's who God chose you to be, you're, you're, you were born a male and you've, you know, I'm talking to you this morning. Now I'm probably going to lean a little heavier on dads than I am non-dads, probably going to lean a little heavier on husbands than I am, non-husbands, people that aren't married yet. Or, uh, but I, I, want, I want us to talk to all men because most of you are going to eventually be husbands or 
dads, the ones that aren't husbands or dads right now. But, and I'll probably lean the heavier on those of you who are all three. You're male, you're a husband, and you are a dad because you'll have even more responsibility because there are more people that are connecting there. So let me tell you something. Am I, kind of, I don't know if I got this out, out, of, out of order or not, but I had those three. There you go. You, you were, let me tell you this. First of all, Dad, you are not only a dad when you're in the backyard throwing a football with your kid. You see, that's, that's one of the places where we miss our, our, our responsibility. We think that's our response. You're not only a dad when you're in the backyard throwing the football. You're not only a granddad at the, can- at the candy counter. You know, oh man, that's awesome. You know, to go to the candy counter. Now, now Brooklyn, our little two-year-old, you know, she knows that the Chevron station sells ices. You know, she can be driving down the road and she she sees a Chevron station anywhere in town. She thinks that's the icy place because she knows that one sells. And that blue and white service station, she knows has sells. That's awesome. But you know what? You're not just a grand. And sometimes we get this attitude that, hey, I'm the granddad now. I get to spoil them and send them back home. No, you still have responsibility. So you're not just, you're not just, uh, you're not just responsible. You're not just a granddad at the candy counter. And you're not only a husband in the bedroom. Sometimes, oh, man, is it quiet this morning? But sometimes we think this is the only place that we're supposed to act like a husband. The only place that, yeah, I said I was going to get on us, didn't I? It's, but you are not only a husband in the bedroom. Let me talk, so let's talk about some responsibility. I'll take you to a very, very bad example from the book of 1 Kings, right, to the, right near the end of the book of 1 Kings. And uh, we get introduced to, uh, to our bad example today right here in this verse uh, 30 of chapter 16, Ahab. Ahab, who is the son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, he was a bad king, and he fought a lot of bad kings, but what the Word of God just told us is he was the worst that Israel had ever had. He not only considered it trivial, or no big deal to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. But he also married Jezebel, who was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. Now, her dad was named after the, 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 god, Eth, the god Baal, Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And, and uh, uh, this is who he married. And Ahab began to serve Baal and to worship him, false god. Now, Elijah, we know who Elijah is, and we're kind of getting a little bit more introduced to Elijah at this point. That's why he says now it's Elijah the Tishbite, in case you don't know. It's just that same old Elijah, Elijah that we've always talked about. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and, Gal- and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will ne- be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, listen, when, when you're king over a nation, when you're king over a country, you have a realm or whatever, whatever you do impacts everybody in the kingdom. Uh, You know, if if you build big, huge palaces and you take a lot of tax money or whatever you want to call it, it, that impacts everybody. And spiritually speaking, in the same way, what he did impacted every single person in the, in the, in the country, in the, in the realm that he had. Uh, because when, when God says, I'm not going to let it rain on the earth for three years, you know who that, infa- who that affected? It didn't just affect Ahab. It affected everybody. It affected every little child all the way down to the very youngest child. It affected them because there was, there was not enough water for three years. There was no rain. Crops would die in the field because not enough rain. Uh, no doubt cattle died in the field because there was not enough rain for them to have enough to drink. 
And everyone, every single person was affected, impacted by the wickedness of the one who ruled. Now, now let's relate that to us. And I know we're talking about a king today, but this king was also a dad and he was also a husband. You'll see it. it well, we've already seen that he's a husband. He's married. And it was impacting his family as well. But I, I, that's not just all I want to bring to you. I just want you to see this correlation here also is that if you are a dad, God has put you up. You're not a king over your domain, you know, your palace at home, but God has put you as a person of the R word responsibility. And as responsibility, whatever you do is going to have impact on everyone that God has made you responsible for every decision you make. Every time you blow a thousand dollars, that impacts everybody in the family. Every time you commit a sin, that impacts everybody in the family. Every time you, you turn a deaf ear to God and you say, uh, uh, I'll deal with that tomorrow, Lord, that, that's going to impact every single person in your family. So, so I, I want to just you know, draw the line right here and let you understand that as, as husband, as dad, as a male, every person that God makes you responsible for somewhere down the road, Maybe even as a big brother or even as a, as a good neighbor to the person across the fence and, you know, next door to you or, or but definitely your, your spouse and your kids and your grandkids and maybe even nephews and, and uh, nieces along the way. Every person that God makes you responsible for when your uh, parents get older and maybe they can't live alone and they have to come live under your house and you have to provide for them. Guess what? The R word has now turned everything back around, and now you're responsible. And every person that God makes you responsible for is going to be impacted by whatever, whatever you do. I mean, we've got this attitude that, and it's really getting prevalent in our society today, is it's not wrong if it's only hurting me. Well, let me tell you, it's not just hurting you. There is no such thing as a private sin. Because all private sin affects the people that are under you if you're not careful. You sin against your spouse, your kids are going to pay for that. They're going to pay for that. You, you sin in, in, in lust in some way, and you sin in, in, uh, in emotional relationships and physical and sexual relationships. Your kids are going to be impacted by that. There's no getting around it. You are going to, whatever you do, you are going to impact every person that God makes you responsible for the rest of your life. Man, kind of makes you just want to sit down and quit, doesn't it? Sounds real heavy, but he doesn't throw us out there without the ability to do it. And if we can look at it, you know, and if you're one of those glass half empty people, you're already thinking, man, this is a downer of a sermon. No, listen, be a glass half full person and realize what God is saying. I'm making you responsible. I mean, you know, some people, they, you know, they walk up you know, people that don't really watch football, you know, but they walk up at the end of the game and they see the, you know, the game, uh, one team is behind by two points. You know, there's one second on the clock and, and the kicker go, is going out there to kick a 45 yard field goal to try and win it, you know, and, and somebody just walks up right now and, uh, you know, adds up the score and figures that thing. They'll say, they'll say, what do they say? I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. You don't understand. You're, you, you're missing the point. Man, that's what the guy lives for. Man, this, this is what I've been training for. I, I want to be in these shoes. One second left to go, two points behind, 45-yard field goal. These are the shoes I've been training to be in. I want to impact. I want to win the game. And you need to be a glass-half-full person and realize that I can be like Ahab, 
no, I'm not going to be like Ahab. I'm going to take my responsibility because God gives me the response. I'm the one that's going to win. I'm the one that's going to bring the victories. And I'm the one that's going to bring favor into my family. I'm the one that's going to pass down a legacy to my kids and my grandkids. I'm, I'm the one that, that people are going to say, I wish that was my father. I wish, I wish my husband would act like that. You know, you don't want to be the other side of that, do you? And you don't want to be the one that, you know, your wife is saying that about somebody else's. No, you got to step up and be the man that God called you to be and say, wait a minute, this is what I've been trained for. This is the man I'm supposed to be to step into this place at this time and see the victory won. So let's go on. Obadiah went to meet Ahab three years later, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Okay, so three years later, God sends him. And uh, let me tell you the story just real quick. God says, Elijah... Uh, I'm going to send rain now. It's time. It's been three years. So go tell Elijah. So Elijah goes and finds, he runs into the servant of Ahab. He says, go tell Ahab. I need to see him. And so they finally meet and he, and he tells him he, for three years, but we don't find him repenting. What we find is, is, is he still adamant? He's still evil. He's still following after Baal. No doubt when the rain isn't falling, he's probably still praying to, uh, to, to Baal, a false God for three years. He had opportunity for dad, husband, man. You know, one of these days, young men that aren't married, you don't have kids yet, you're going to grow up, these things are going to happen to you. And you know what? All these things that you've been doing all these years, you've had, and you've had opportunity for, for repentance. You've had opportunity to put your life uh, where it needs to be with God. You've had opportunity to, 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 you know, to make things right. You've had opportunity to repent. You've had opportunity to build all this stuff. And if you've not, do, if you've not done it, there's going to come a day where God says, okay, now the rules are going to change. I'm going to send rain, but it ain't going to be over yet. There's still some things we've got to do. For three years, he had opportunity of repentance. Now, summon the people. Here's what Elijah says. So, so call all the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Eight, they had 850 false prophets. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And you know what? Ahab could have said, look, that was, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not the one who set this whole bell thing up. You know, he could try to pass the R word down, couldn't he? He could say, you know, they were around before I got here. Or, or my wife did this. You know, he could point the little finger about the R. And he could, he could try to pass off the responsibility, you know, and say, you know, I don't have anything to do with it, but he sure knew how to call them together, didn't he? I mean, it took one word from the king and he could call them together. You know what that tells me? That tells me he could have also called all of them to repentance. If he could call 850 prophets of Baal to a mountaintop like that, he could call the whole nation of Israel to repentance. And listen, listen to me, dad. Listen to me, husband. Listen to me, man. And I want you guys to get this because down the road, you know, you, you, if you'll get this, guys, those of you who aren't married, you'll get this. You're going to be a steps way ahead of the rest of us who've messed up for the first half of our marriages or whatever. And now we're trying to fix it. Is you need to understand this. You might say, well, I, I just can't do anything. I can't do it. No, listen, God has given you responsibility. And if he's given you responsibility, he's given you the power and the authority, spiritual authority, to be able to accomplish all that he has put within your responsibility. And you can stand up, call your family to repentance. Call you, say, you know what, well, we've been messing up. You know, we've not been going to church like we should. We've not been paying our tithes like we should. We've not been uh, standing for right things. You know, we've, we've been letting some things we shouldn't let on our TV, be on our TV, or we, we've been doing this, or we've been, and call your family to repent, call your family to the, to the altar of prayer. And now, uh, you know, we, 
probably don't have altars in, in, our, in our houses as far as a physical altar. All that means is call them to a time, a moment, a place of prayer. We have the responsibility, but we also have the privilege and the opportunity. He knew how to do it. He just didn't do it. Um, so, so here's what I, I need to kind of set up the rest of what's going on here. So th- the reason Elijah brings him to the top of the mountain, and I don't have time to really preach this, this message. There's a whole lot of stuff here, and I know a lot of you have heard this preached many times, I'm sure. But it's basically a contest. They're going to pray for fire to come down out of heaven. Okay, some people say, well, it's going to be lightning. That's all it's going to be. Okay, that's fine with me. I don't care. You know, if it's lightning, whatever it is, but they're, okay, they're going to call for, for their God to send lightning out of heaven. And whoever's God sends lightning out of heaven, they're all going to worship and follow that because Elijah said, how long are you going to st- stand still between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve him. If Jehovah is God, serve him. And let's all pray. So Baal, the Baal worshipers, 850 prophets of Baal prayed and they asked, and they asked Baal to send down lightning, to send down fire out of heaven. And see, this is the reason I don't have a problem. If you want to just call it, say it is lightning, that's good with me because for, for all day long, you see, you get right midday past, they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid it. Even if all it was was lightning, God, Jehovah God shut up heavens and, and wouldn't even let lightning come down if, if that's all it took because of all them. But here's my question is where was the king? You know, for all day long, all the way to the middle of the day, you know, here are the prophets. But where was the king? You know, what's, what's the king's place in all of this? And, and that's kind of a question I've got for you is where are you, dad, when all these things are going on? Where are you, husband, when all those things are going on? And then, then finally at the end, at the evening sacrifice, Elijah just shuts them all down. And Elijah says, uh, I says, okay, you've had your time. You spent all day long here. I'm going to take my time now. And so he builds an altar. One man, one man of God builds an altar. Come on, listen to me, dad. Listen to me, husband. Listen to me, young man. One man of God. After 850 have prophesied and cut themselves and, and screamed and prayed all day, one man of God. You may feel like you're just fighting a losing battle in your family. I mean, all the junk that's coming in through the TV and the internet and, and into your kids while they're at school all day long and, and the junk that your, your spouse is having to listen to at work and you feel like you're fighting a losing But one man of God built an altar and, and he prayed a little prayer. Uh, and well, I don't have time to tell you all this, all this story, but he prayed prayed a little prayer, about 70-something words, according to which translation you use. About 70 words. He prayed this little, short little prayer and, and, and lightning. Lightning that hasn't come or fire that hasn't come all day long. At the end of his prayer, lightning came down and, and it devoured the sacrifice. And then it says, when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But I still got a question. Where was the king? He said, the people did. Oh, that's a, that's, that's a scary thing to me as a dad. You know what I don't want to have? I don't want God to begin moving and my family, my people, the ones God had made me respond, for them to be the ones who fall on their face before God and say, oh God, he is the true God. And me still be standing around looking and wondering what's going on. And yet that's what's happening to a lot of our dads. Spiritually, that's what's happening in, in a lot of our homes. Moms are having to get it because dad is so consumed with too many other things. Spouses are having to get it. Wives are having to get it because husbands are 
are too busy with other things. And they're not paying attention to what God is doing on top of the mountain. And spiritually speaking, on the high places where God wants to meet with us. In the quiet times, in the, in the moments, as Chase encouraged us, you know, we have that privilege. And men, listen, we have the responsibility, but God has given us the privilege of leading our people up to the top of the mountain, a place to be alone with God, to let God show up and do something awesome and amazing in our life, to receive our gifts, our sacrifice, to show favor, and to let everybody know that He is the true God of our life. Oh, where? Where was the king? Now, Skipping ahead in the story just a little bit. Now, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria, which was the, the, which was the capital city of Ahab, and, and he attacked Samaria. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, this is what Ben-Hadad says. Now, look, look at this. Your silver and gold are mine. He's, he's, he's attacking him, and he sends a messenger to say, Hey, I'm coming for your silver and gold, because now they're going to be mine. But he goes on, and he said, The best of your wives and children are mine. Now, hang on there for just a second. He said this. He is making a threat. He is challenging Ahab. And I want to know what Ahab's going to say about it. This man who, had, who thinks nothing of thumbing his nose at God. What does he say? He says, the king of Israel answered, just as you say, my lord, the king, I and all I have are yours. What did he just do? He just gave away his kids. He just gave away his wives. The first time we hear mention of any of his kids, and what do we hear? He's giving them away. A man who is willing to sacrifice everything so he can keep his little thing. Oh, oh. Man, does that hurt? Anybody besides me pull your toes in? Wow. A man who is willing to sacrifice the best so he can have just his little thing. Anybody buy a boat lately? Okay. Good. A man who's willing to sacrifice his family so he can have that big, beautiful bass boat. You know, that kind of thing. Here's the, que- here's the question. It's what are you sacrificing your family over? What are you sacrificing your marriage over? What is, it that you're ge- what is it that you have to have so much that you don't care if it destroys your relationship with your kids? You don't care if it destroys your finances? You don't care if it destroys your marriage? What is it you've got to have? This is what he was doing. The first time we hear his kids mentioned, and what do we hear? Judgment. God says, okay, here, here's what's going to happen. Let's go on. Sometime later, oh, man, uh, my, I've got to skip this. I just don't have time for it. Um, uh, let, me, let me tell this story to you real quick. He wanted a piece of property. He sent word to get the piece of property. And uh, when he sent word to get the piece of property, uh, <laughs> the man said, I, I can't give it to you. This is, this is the property God gave to my family. I can't give it to you. And so he goes home. You know what he does, this king? He goes home and he pouts. Read the word. That's what it says. I don't have time to read it to you. We've we got to hurry right here. He goes home and pouts. His wife comes in, sees him pout, and says, what's wrong with you? And he tells her, Naboth won't give me that land. Won't let me buy that land. You know, great example of a man, huh? Pouting over somebody. Won't, and she said, I'll handle it. And he knew what she meant. 
She went and set him up. Uh, long story, but what she did is she set him up to be falsely accused of something. He was stoned. And when he was stoned, she went back into Ahab's bedroom and said, hey, he's dead now. Go get your piece of property. And so then God sends a uh, prophet. And when the prophet gets there, when the prophet gets to, the, gets to, the, uh, to Ahab, uh, he actually goes to Naboth's land because that's where Ahab is. And he speaks to him and he tells him, he gives him a prophecy. Mike, where's that? Can you find that verse, which is probably the, maybe the last one of this little set right here. Um, I'd like to read that. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got it and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Is that the last one I gave you there? And I was going to tell the rest of the story myself, probably so. What's the, what's the next slide, Mike? I'm sorry. I'm just trying to hurry right here. Okay, oh, where's the spiritual leadership? Uh, skip on to the next verse. I've, I've got to go. What's the next verse we've got? Then the, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. They go down to meet Ahab, king of Syria, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. This is where I wanted to be. Thank you. This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where your dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. So much for the, I'm not responsible for what the rest of my family does. So much for that excuse that we have. He knew what his wife was doing. And then when his wife did it, he went out and got the piece of property. And you know what? God comes to him and God, and God sends the, the prophet. And he comes to him and he says, he doesn't say, because your wife had a man murdered, what does he say? He said, because you murdered the man. You did this. You were party to this. And you are the R word. You are responsible. You've not given any spiritual leadership. You've not done anything to reign all of this in. She actually even killed a lot of the prophets of God. Uh, what's the next verse, Mike? This is what he says. I'm going to bring disaster on you. I'll consume your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have provoked me to anger and have caused Israel to sin. So here is the, the judgment. The first time we hear him talking about his family and his kids, and what do we hear? God says, I'm going to wipe out your family. Your entire family. Listen. If you're a child of, a, of an unrighteous father, if you're the spouse of an unrighteous husband, you are living under the responsibility of someone who is not following Jesus Christ. Then my heart hurts for you. Because I, I know the stuff that comes into your life. Because I deal with it all the time. I sit in my office or sit in my living room or sit on the phone or sometimes even emailing people that are struggling with the junk that we dads and we husbands bring into our marriages and into our homes because we don't follow God. Let me tell you what to do if you are a child of an unrighteous, a man who is not following after God. Pray. You pray and pray and pray and obey. Obey God. Do everything you can to obey. Hear his word every day that you can. And I don't just mean just hear him 
just the words coming off the page, but listen to what His Holy Spirit is telling you those words mean for you that day. Pray and pray and obey and do everything you can. And, and, and listen, I'm not a big, huge person about, you know, all this curse stuff that some people talk about, but I do believe this, there, there's some truth in there. And, and, and I don't want anybody to go off a deep end, but I think you need to pray and pray and pray and, and obey everything you can to break whatever it is that your dad is going to, by his unrighteousness, pass down to you. And if you're a, the spouse of, a, of an unbelieving husband, you need to pray and pray and pray and pray and do the same thing to break whatever it is that your unbelieving spouse is pulling, pulling down into your marriage and pulling into your marriage every day. You need to do that. Let's, let's finish right here. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself for me? Now here's God talking. He says, Ahab's humbled himself. Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster. Oh, it would be great if it stopped right there, period. If God says, because he repented, I will not. But here's the problem. Ahab had a lot of opportunities to repent. Three years he could have repented. Before that, after that, and in none of this time did he repent, not until God said judgment. So was Ahab really sorry that he had done wrong or sorry that he was finally being called on it? God obviously, knowing everybody's heart and mind and thinking, obviously thought the latter. And so God continues, I will not bring this disaster in his day, but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. We may as dads, we may as husbands, we may as males that are responsible for whatever it is God has put, we may somehow... Sway God's anger, wrath, and judgment on us for all of our actions. But if we're not careful, we're going to pass them down. And this was a prayer that was prayed, a good prayer. It was prayed too late. I thought, I thought it was never too late. It's not too late for your soul. Sometimes it's too late for your favor. Sometimes it's too late for your blessing. Sometimes it's too late for your dreams. Sometimes you mess things up so much, the only way God can fix it is to start the world over. Think about it. We mess things up so much, the only way God could fix it would be to start your whole marriage over. And, and it will, if we're not careful, guys, we'll come to a day that we'll try to pray a prayer but it'll be too late to pray that prayer. Salvation is always there. Your eternity can always be, ta- at, the, at your last breath, you can always get salvation. But the blessings and the favor and the goodness and the righteousness and the hope and the, the dream that God wants to put in your life, it, there can come a moment that it is too late to pray and rescue that. I don't want to wait till then. I don't want to wait till then. I don't want you to wait till then. Let's make sure. Let's make sure we deal with stuff. Let's be men this morning. Let's be men. 